Turn your Bibles to the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. Turn to Genesis chapter 3. In fact, look at the very end of Genesis chapter 2. It's really where the passage ought to begin. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 25. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said you should not eat from any tree of the garden? The Hebrew word for naked is a rumen, and the word for clever is a room. So in the Hebrew text, there's a play on the words between the end of Genesis 2 and the beginning here of Genesis chapter 3. If I were to put it in English and translate it for you, it goes something like this. The man and his wife were both nude, and they were not ashamed. Now the serpent was more shrewd. You hear the, the rhyme in the narrative? So the narrator begins with them innocent and nude, and the serpent appears so shrewd. I want us to notice this morning some things about the free fall of humanity. First of all, the root of all sin is found when we begin to believe that God cannot be trusted. The root of all sin is found when we begin to believe that God cannot be trusted. Notice how crafty the questioning of the creature. He doesn't den deny the command of God at first. He simply raises the question. It translates something like this. Really now? Really? Did God say you couldn't eat from any tree in the garden? Really? Now the woman gives a less than completely accurate paraphrase of what God had commanded to her and to Adam. She introduces her own subtle changes, and when we begin to change God's Word and make our subtle changes, that's when we begin at risk, isn't it? Actually, Eve made three noticeable changes between what she said God said and actually what God Himself had commanded. First of all, she minimizes the provisions of the Lord. The Lord had said, you may eat freely, Genesis 2.16. But Eve simply said, we may eat. God has said, of all these other trees, help yourself. It's an open banquet, but of the one tree. And Eve changed it to, we may eat. Secondly, she added to God's prohibition. The Lord had said nothing about touching the tree. He told them they couldn't eat from the fruit. He didn't say they couldn't touch the tree. He never said, neither shall you touch it, as Eve reports. It's almost as if she wanted to build a hedge beyond the law so she herself would never be in danger of breaking it. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it really wasn't what God said. God said, you shall not eat. He never said, neither shall you touch. Third, she weakened the penalty for sin. Here's where the danger begins. God had declared, verse two, chapter 2, verse 17, you shall surely die. But Eve changed it in chapter 3, verse 3, lest you die. Meaning, if you eat of that fruit, there's a chance you'll die. You might die. A question command of God is no longer a command. 
a questioned command of God is no longer a command. When she changed, you will surely die to lest you die or you might die. She has weakened the actual command of God. Now, the serpent actually is more accurate in quoting God than Eve is. In fact, he says, you shall not surely die. God had said, you will surely die. The serpent at least understands and says, you shall not surely die. But the serpent contradicts. In fact, the Hebrew construction has emphasis on the not. Hebrew goes this way, not you shall surely die. It's been a delusion of the human race from Adam and Eve forward that there is no punishment for disobedience. There's a delusion, delusionment of the human race from Adam and Eve forward that there isn't really any punishment for disobedience. All sin is based in the root of the serpent's lie, and the lie is this, God cannot be trusted. All sin begins with the idea that God cannot be trusted. The lie holds this way. There is a way better than God's way, and maybe it's your way. God cannot be trusted. There might, in fact, be a better idea than God's idea. There might be a better alternative than God's commands. Then we begin to place ourselves in a privileged position. When we begin to believe that the lie that God is somehow not giving his children his best, that God's commands are holding us from the real joy that we deserve if we might do it our way and our idea is better than God's idea. In fact, in verse 5, the serpent claims exactly that. God knows that the day that you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, then you'll know good from evil. God's holding back on you. God knows if you do it your way, my way, the better way, you will be like God. And he didn't want you to have his insights. Now, the claim is not a complete lie because eating would cause him to know the difference between good on the one hand and evil on the other hand. But with knowledge came misery. Every time the tempter offers us something that is better than the command of God, he insinuates that there is something other than God's way that will bring us more happiness, that will bring us more joy, that will give us a greater good than the good that God wants to give us. That God is holding back the best, and God is only giving us the good. And once Satan convinces us, even for a moment, that God is somehow, some way, holding back the best on us, he knows us, he, can, he knows he can cause us to crumble. Have you ever thought about the irony of this dialogue between the crown of creation, man and woman, humanity, and the serpent that was supposed to be a subordinate in the creation? Man was to do all creation, to be a steward of all creation, to rule over all the creatures. Being led by a subordinate snake is a curious way to achieve divinity, don't you think? There's a second thing I want you to see. When we seek to find our identity outside of our relationship and service to God, we find ourselves in misery. When we seek to find our identity outside of our relationship and our servanthood to God, we find ourselves in misery. 
The ultimate sin is this. Sin is a despairing refusal to find your deepest identity in your relationship and your service to God. See, sin is really seeking to be oneself, to have an identity apart from God's identity for us, to really think we're somebody and we have ideas too. The temptation that Eve is facing is more than just a temptation of eating a fruit from a tree. She was trying to be equal with God. When we break God's rules, we're saying that our wisdom is as good, is as great as God's wisdom. You'll be like God, the snake hissed. You'll be like God. The problem with building your identity on something other than God or someone other than God, whether it's your success in business, your children, your lover, your physical health, your political party, is they will ultimately, eventually, all be unable to play the role of God for you. Eventually, they will fail and falter at being the God that you're trying to make them to be. Identity apart from God as God is inherently unstable. Everyone else and all else will eventually disappoint you. If you build your identity around who your children are, what do you do when your children disappoint you? If you build your identity around your spouse and your spouse's pride and prestige, what do you do when he walks out? What do you do when she decides to leave? If you build your identity around your position as a business person, what do you do when you have to file chapter 13? Or, or that's why so many people are lost when they retire. Their identity is what they do, not who they are in God, in Christ. But there's, a, there's another irony. Even if you get the desires of your heart and you try to make a thing God, you'll still be hurt and disappointed. The Village Voice column, Cynthia Heimel, thought back on all the people in New York City that she knew before they made it big in Hollywood. One of them used to put on makeup on customers at Macy's, and the other simply, he wasn't in the movies. He was at the booth selling tickets to the movies, and she remembered both of them. She said, but when they finally made it in Hollywood and didn't need to work at Macy's or at the theater anymore selling tickets, when they became successful, every one of them was more angry and more manic and more unhappy and more unstable than they had been when they were working hard to get to the top. Why? Heimel writes. The giant thing they were striving for, that fame thing that was going to make everything okay, that was going to make their lives bearable that was going to fill them with happiness it had happened and the next day they woke up and they were still themselves the next day they woke up and they were still themselves the disillusionment turned them howling and insufferable you have to hand your whole self over to God we have to trust God we cannot find our worth and our identity apart from God and apart from our relationship to Him. You can't find your identity in pleasure or relationships or ambition or money. These things will ultimately bring you sadness, even if for the moment they bring you success. And the third thing I want you to see, 
Life becomes most dangerous when you want to talk about God rather than to God. Life becomes most dangerous when we will talk about God rather than talk to God. We can never substitute theology, the queen of all the sciences. We can never substitute theology for obedience. What you see happening here in this narrative in Genesis is, in chapter 2, Adam and Eve are talking to God and with God. When they get to chapter 3, no longer are they conversing with God, no longer are they obeying His commandments, but rather now with the serpent they're talking about God. They have ceased to be disciples or followers, and now they've become theologians. One of our staff members was talking about a ministry that he's involved in with a bunch of men. He described the problem this way, Pastor, we've got to get the message of Christ from their head to their heart. These guys want to put something else in their head, but they don't want to put anything into their hearts. Adam and Eve had taken God from their heart to only their head as they became the first theologians. It's, it's an old problem. It's what happens right here in Genesis chapter 3. Now they're having a conversation with one of the creatures about the Creator. God becomes objectified. He becomes an object of the sentence. He's the object of discussion. The serpent is the first creature in all of creation to try to substitute theology, the study and discussion of God with obedience, saying yes to the commands and the boundaries of God, the God who knows us best and gives us his best. I want you to notice what happens in verse 6. I want you to notice the verbals, the subjects and the verbs. She took, she ate, she gave, he ate. You see that? Look how fast it happens. Once you stop relating to God and start talking about God, the sin happens fast. She took, she ate, she gave, he ate. As a result of their sins, and indeed, just like the serpent had promised, they, they knew more. But the additional knowledge was a downfall. They saw more, but now what they saw spoiled they're seeing. Mistrust and alienation replaced security and intimacy they'd enjoyed. And before they had only life and life forever, and now they had death, now that they knew. They had pleasure before, and now they had to toil and work, and in childbirth they had pain. They had abundance before. You may eat all you want from the, the banquet of trees in the garden. But now they had a meager sustenance by toll. They were in perfect harmony with God, with each other. Now there was nothing but alienation and conflict. Here's the fourth thing I want you to see. Sinners must offer confession and not excuses. Sinners must offer confession and not excuses. God comes to the garden the part of the story we didn't read, but you're familiar with it. In the cool of the day. And they run and they hide. God says, where are you, Adam? I heard your sound in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid myself. I was afraid, Adam protests. 
and so I sinned. Abraham says the same thing. I was afraid, and so I sinned. Isaac will later say the same thing. I was afraid, and I sinned. When we sin, life turns back to self, I. I was afraid, and so I sinned. Now, how do you know you're naked, Adam? He wanted knowledge. He got knowledge, and knowledge ruined everything. He traded trust for knowledge. You didn't happen to eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from, did you? And Adam gives an answer that men have been using ever since that first day. The woman that you gave me, she did it. Notice it's God's fault, kind of, because if he, God hadn't given him the woman, he wouldn't have sinned. The woman that you yourself thought was a good idea, you came up with it, I didn't. And so God turns over to Eve and says, okay, I mean, eyes off of Adam now, what about you? What about you, Eve? And Eve says, you know that snake, why he tricked me, and he lied. God comes to Adam, Adam blames Eve, and Eve points to the snake, and the poor snake who caused them to eat, well, he just takes the curse of God. We must offer confession and not passing the buck with excuses. Andrew Delbanco, a communities professor at Columbia University, some years ago he was doing research on Alcoholics Anonymous. He was attending AA meetings around the country. One Saturday morning, a cool Saturday morning in New York City, in a church basement, he was listening to a crisply dressed young man who was talking about his problems with alcohol. And in his narrative, it was everybody's fault but his own. His dependence was due to injustice and betrayals of others. He spoke about how he was going to avenge himself with everybody that had ever wronged him or hurt him. His every gesture gave the impression of grievously wounded pride. The professor wrote, It was clear the young man was trapped within this need to justify himself and that things were only going to get worse in his life until he recognized this. And while he was speaking, the professor says, a black man in his 40s in dreadlocks and dark shades leaned over to the professor and said, I used to feel that way too until I achieved low self-esteem. I used to feel that way too until I achieved low self-esteem. De Blanco writes in his book, The Real American Dream, A Meditation of Hope. That was more than a good line. For me, it was a moment I understood a new way, the religion I claimed to know something about. As the speaker bombarded us with phrases like, got to take control of my life, and I really got to believe in myself, the man beside me took refuge in the old doctrine that pride is the enemy of hope. What he meant by his joke about self-esteem was that he learned that no one can save himself by the dent of his own efforts. He thought the speaker was still lost, lost in himself without knowing it. The problem with Adam, the problem with Eve, the problem with me, that instead of confessing our sins, we want to deny and to justify. It's a woman's fault. It's a serpent's fault. It's my parents' fault. It's society's fault. 
you get nowhere until you raise your hand like you used to have to do when they called a foul on you and say, I did it. I'm the one. I did it. I'm responsible. I've not obeyed or respected the boundaries of God. Well, only the serpent is cursed, but pain comes to both the man and the woman. There's a, a final thing I want you to see. In the second Adam, we find life just like we found death in the first. In the second Adam, that is in Christ, the new man, we find life just as surely as we found death in the first. Now, I want you to look at verse 6 again. These words, take and eat. The Lord himself would have to taste death for our sins, but for these words took on and became words of salvation. You remember these same words, take and eat? In Matthew 26, 26, while they were eating the Passover, Jesus took some bread, and after he blessed it, he broke it and gave the disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body. The punishment Ultimately, upon the man, the woman finds its resting place in the second Adam. Their sin is only paid for when Christ, the second Adam, appears in the narrative. It's only in the New Testament that we gain victory over this sin. And all the motifs in this chapter, when they get their punishment or kicked out of the garden, they have to toll the words that are in here, the thorns, toll, listen to these words, toll and sweat and thorns and conflict and tree and death and dust. All are reflected in the experience of the Christ. He became the curse. He sweat great drops of blood and bitter agony. He wore the thorns of that fall on his brow. He hung upon a tree, a story about trees until he was dead. And he was placed again in the dust of the earth. God's grace comes in verse 21. That's when he made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, Eve, and clothed them. Now, you remember, Adam and Eve had already made themselves a fig leaf covering, but that wasn't sufficient, was it? They needed animal skin for covering because sin always leads to death. And the animal skin shows that sin equals death, just like God said. And every time the ancient Israelites would experience an animal sacrifice and the skin is given to the priest, they would remember disobedience always leads to death. To us, life is cheap. And death is familiar, but Adam would recognize the death of the animal as punishment for his sin. Sin could not, never can be covered by a bunch of leaves from the bush, but only by pain and blood. The final lamb to be sacrificed was on Calvary, and that lamb covered our sins. God himself on Calvary comes to take our place for our fall and from Adam's fall. And the second Adam is on the tree with the thorns in the dust, sweating and bleeding. So he could reverse all the bad that happened in Genesis 3. And the truth of the matter is, if Adam hadn't messed up the story, how we would have messed up the story. You would have messed up the story. Don't blame Eve. If Eve 
Adam would have been right at the same tree the next day if Eve hadn't done it. We are Eve. We are Adam. And we have thought there's a better way than God's way. And our relationship with him is broken until the second Adam comes and says, paradise again with me today. Let's pray. Oh God, maybe there's someone here in this room, someone who needs to know Jesus Christ as his Lord or her Savior. Someone needs to say that I fell with Adam and I need to be forgiven. I need the second Adam. I need to say this morning, Jesus is Lord. I'll no longer give excuses. I'll raise my hand when the whistle is blown and say, I did it. Maybe there are others here this morning, oh God, who need to come and be a part of our fellowship, part of our church family, that they would say today is their day, his day, her day, be a part of this fellowship called First Baptist. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.